Well, it is just a real honor and a privilege to be here. So um, I love coming up here because normally this is one of the few locations where I'm not the tallest guy in the room. But Since today, so, now, man. You're serious? Yeah, you're it again. I'm the tallest guy in the room. So um, I'm 6'9", and yes, I do play basketball. And uh, that's been a real part of my story. So I grew up in Southern California and uh, grew up in an amazing, uh, you know, Christian home. Um, I describe it as this bubble of grace within a sea of religion and <laughs> legalism, kind of. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of hick town, California. Everybody talks about how beautiful California was. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's not, yes, the high desert's like Central Valley. Um, and I, I, you know, my big driving force is I wanted to play basketball and wanted to be good at that. Um, and that kind of saved me from every other vice, <laughs> just that. Um, and so even though, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, I wasn't, um, I rejected it early. Religion hurt me. And so I basically said, I don't want that. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. So I have a great solution. I'll go be the biggest hypocrite of y'all. And uh, so I walked away from the Lord. I ended up going to a Christian college, though, the Master's College, if you're uh, familiar with that, in Southern California, John MacArthur. I remember the beginning of my senior year. That was at the bottom of my list, the last school I would go to. But the Lord bribed me by giving me a scholarship. So I went there to play basketball. It looked like a good opportunity. And... Um, then, uh, the, it's interesting how the Lord works. After my uh, freshman year, I went on a missions trip to play basketball in Europe. And I wasn't following the Lord at all. Um, you know, I was in a Christian environment. My mom encouraged me to go. I wanted to play basketball in Europe. And, uh, the Lord used that uh, when I got there. Um, you know, we played with the other players, and they were really good. I remember there were these two African-American guys. Melvin Adams was one of them. Um, short players, really, really talented. And it's interesting. It was the first time in my life, really, where someone I looked up to who was cool talked about how much they were in love with Jesus. And they shared their story about how, you know, committed they were, but when they met the Lord how much more because now they're playing for the creator of the universe and it's interesting because I had spent the last several years of my life through junior high and high school and college just hardening my heart being in a Christian environment and uh, you know I remember initially you know the pastor would preach an impassioned message on Sunday and I'd feel horrible until about Wednesday <laughs> then I could get by until Tuesday <laughs> And, you know, you keep working that. I could sit there the most impassionate message that I agreed with and believed. And, it, and just my heart was so hard and I'd just be cynical. It wouldn't bother me at all, you know. And, uh, but I knew, I, you know, praise God for basketball and that driving force. It protected me from so much else because I wanted to excel at that. So I was just stuck in an immoral relationship that, you know, you look at what people are up against today, it's like so mild. Um, but I knew I was captive. It's interesting there, after their testimony, I was in the shower, and um, uh, there in Germany, and the Lord had hit that one soft spot. And I knew that I was a slave to sin. I suddenly, and I couldn't be free myself. 
And I said, all right, Lord, I'll give it a try. I'll live your way rather than mine. Um, it's so funny. I'm thinking in the back of my mind at that time, I can try this out for two weeks, and if it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work, I'll just go back to the old way. But then I'm thinking, wait, you can't negotiate with God that way, obviously. So, so I won't even think that. But I could still keep that as an option. I just won't think it. <laughs> so it's really spiritual warfare. But it was surrender. That's the big word I felt for you all. Surrender. And uh, I surrendered. And it changed everything. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't see any bells and whistles and angel from heaven at the time. Um, but I walked out of that shower a clean man. And I know the one thing that changed is I went from, I mean, you know, a friend had been sharing his testimony with me, a very close friend, and it was really convicting me. And so I had, you know, I had been fighting it off for a few months, and I had wanted to read the scriptures, but my heart was impure. And, and like I see now, it was spiritual warfare. I couldn't pick up the Bible. It's like there'd be a resistance to it. I want to read it even though I wanted to. And that's what happened. That's what shifted immediately. I went from not being able to read the scripture to having this insatiable hunger to read it. And it just changed everything. And the next, the next year, I mean, that was my life. I'd play basketball, I'd go home, and I'd have Bible and chill, you know, and I'd be in college and I'd study. And, and I was just so, you know, studying my classes. And then after I'm done that, I just want to be in the scripture. I just want to hear messages. I just want to read it. I just want to... And I felt like my whole life I'd been living like this, so monofocused, you know, not knowing that there's a whole big world out there. And he just transformed my thinking. The big thing is I had been so self-centered, so self-focused and, you know, angry young man, you know, just, I didn't like people. I just had this incredible gift of uh, you know, it's like my people gift in reverse. I would just mock everybody. So I was, <laughs> I was infamous for just making girls cry <laughs> and, and things like that. I had my, my best friend was really attractive young guy. And so all the girls wanted to, you know, be his boy, be his girlfriend. And they'd last for about two weeks. <laughs> and they'd say, no, he's not worth it. Because it's just my incredible gift of sarcasm. And, uh, the Lord changed that to I actually loved people. And I go, wow, they're amazing. I, I like them, you know. I'm not the only person in the universe. And, uh, you know, transformed everything. He came that you might have life and life more abundantly. So surrender. So interesting, the year after that, the next year, 1990, I got to go on a short-term missions trip with Dr. Ed Silvoso, who's been... Uh, leading a ministry called Harvest Evangelism. Our name is now Transform Our World. Been based in San Jose for 38 years. A whole nother incredible story. I think we're going to have him up here and share, so I'll let him share his story. But here I am, a young, impressionable lad, 19 years old, and now I get a chance to go play basketball on an outreach in Argentina to a city of Resistencia, and um, now I'm excited. I want to go down, and I really want to be an evangelist now. And um, it was an incredible experience. There were definitely bells and whistles there. I remember we're singing this song in this crowded auditorium, I mean, gymnasium. And, um, you know, I mean, they're, they're poor. They don't, they don't have the, the, the things that we have, but what they do have is so much more valuable. 
and in the context of, you know, not the best sound system, none of that, but man, the most incredible worship I've ever experienced. They were singing the song, Worthy is the Lamb, and I understood enough Spanish to, you know, digno eres tu, I could understand it. And is there, um, you know, I'm from, you know, my father's from Dallas Theological Seminary, Master's College, so we don't have visions. So I had a vivid mental picture <laughs> of this spotless lamb taking my place on the cross. I was the dirty one. I was the unclean one. I was the one who deserved to be up there. And he took me off, and the lamb went up there, and it was so unjust, such grace. He took my place, and I just, you know, big, tough basketball player, and uh, I just, just weeping, crying. I never cried like that before. And, uh, you know, part of me is so embarrassed. I don't want anyone to see me. And the other part doesn't want it to stop because of the release and the presence of the Lord. It's an incredible experience. I saw a nation being turned upside down. And, um, I mean, the experience is there. We went and visited the prison. This was actually years later, but it was happening at the time because um, I kept going back. But this is a move of God that didn't just touch a church. It wasn't go find this church and there's miracles that are happening there. This rocked society, okay? So we visited almost prison, the largest prison. is like the San Quentin of uh, Argentina, Buenos Aires. Built to house a thousand inmates, super scary looking place. Built at the same time as San Quentin. Had 3,000 inmates in there overcrowded, used to be a place, you know, they were afraid of riots, the prison, the inmates would take over the prison, the riots would spread to the whole prison system, and we would take massive numbers of international guests, like, you know, 50 of them there, you know, like you guys, you know, and they'd be all, not to minister in the prison, but to have the inmates minister to them, and it is incredible. Um, the first time I went, 800 of the 3,000 inmates were born again, Part of the prison. The last time I went, 1,800, this is about eight years later, 1,800 of the uh, 3,000 inmates were born again, spirit-filled intercessors. All they knew was signs, wonders, and miracles. And they would tell, I mean, one time we had a testimony service. This is in the late 90s, the height of the AIDS epidemic. And their story was, God can heal you of AIDS. And they had one inmate after another share these heart-wrenching stories of their lives, you know, of watching their father murder their mother, you know, being running out of the house, you know, going from gang to gang, being caught, you know, and I'm like, oh, and then they got AIDS generally through, you know, drug use. And I'm like, by the time you hear the AIDS, it's like, brother, that's the least of your problems. <laughs> you are so messed up. And over and over, it was this, I tried this, I tried that, you know, nothing helped. I wanted to turn around, you know, nothing would help. I came here and I met Jesus. Wow. And I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. So I know how people meet Jesus. Tell me how they get healed of AIDS. I haven't heard about that before. And, oh, and he healed me. Like it was an afterthought. And we didn't have one share. I mean, we've heard, we've all heard a story like that. We had a dozen of them share. And the reason we cut it off wasn't because we ran out of people to share testimonies, because we ran out of time. We had to get out of there. Well, as I'm leaving, one guy gets up and he wants to share his story about how he was also, you know, 
healed of AIDS. And I go, poor guy, you know, yours wasn't dramatic enough to get on the top 12, you know, but you were just healed, you know, I guess. It, and I'm like, man, this is just their normal lifestyle. This is what they believe. They don't know anything different. And the magic is you get saved. They believe that if you got saved and you had AIDS, God would heal you. That's, I mean, Jesus died for you. And uh, these experiences really rocked me because now I had this conflict where, you know, I have a framework that says all this stuff that happened in the scriptures is beautiful, but that happened then and over there in the Old Testament. The gifts cease for today, but they don't, we don't really believe they ceased. Even John MacArthur, who's this great cessationist, they don't really cease. They just don't happen here. It's all right on the missions field where you open up new areas, as long as it's a long ways away. And so I came back so on fire, so, you know, excited. I'd go meet with, you know, whoever, and I'd say, we got to pray together, you know. And, and, and the people who knew me liked it because now I'm not causing problems. At least now I'm on fire, you know. I don't, you know, I guess they tolerated me. And I, we, you know, I'd get them to pray. I literally thought every time we prayed, a revival was going to start, you know. And um, I guess it has. <laughs> But uh, trying to fit that into the framework, I remember one older pastor, and I know where he was coming from because, you know, what goes up comes down. You know, you gotta, you gotta pace yourself. It's a marathon, not a sprint. He patted me on the back and says, Ted, you have to realize that's what God did in Argentina. You can't expect him to do that everywhere. And praise God, in my young naivete, I knew enough to bless him and honor him, but to reject what he was saying. Because God is not the God of Argentina. He's the God of all the nations. You know? he's, and if he did it there, he wants to do it here. And he wants to do it all over. So, anyways, uh, that was Argentina. That really marked me. After I graduate from college, I have the opportunity. I didn't really, I didn't really understand it at first, though. So, um, I get a chance to go to... Uh, I graduated from college, you know. Uh, I was a math major. Also, everyone who goes to master's college is a Bible minor. I was also a literature minor. And I graduated summa cum laude. So in a small fish, a small pond, I was, you know, one of the top fish as far as my college. And I didn't know what I, you know, like so many, I had absolutely no direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, um, surrender. So I figured everything else I can do later, if I want to play basketball now professionally, and I wasn't being recruited, I wasn't tall enough, I'm short, you know, in basketball terms. You have to be Seth's height to play a center. I'm very small, you know, I'm slow. I wasn't recruited. I didn't have a stellar college career. It was a small college. Um, so I wasn't going into the NBA, um, at least not right away. Um, so, but I figured if I want to play basketball professionally, everything else I can do later, let's go for it now. So I try, summer after my uh, senior year, I'm down, I'm training at UCLA, I can play with those guys, everything's going well. The end of the summer, season starts, everybody's going off, people have looked at me, chatted with me, and I've got nothing. And here I am, graduating summa cum laude, living on the high desert, back at my parents' home. Man, so I wouldn't even sleep in a bed. I slept on the floor just as a prophetic act. And it's interesting, surrender. So, 
you know, I just do something. I'm pursuing something else, something in math, actuarial, you know, that would have been interesting, me as an actuary. <laughs> and, uh, and the Lord's just saying, Ted, I thought it was all about me. Am I enough? Do you have to have basketball? Surrender. So I just surrender. I said, no, Lord, eat humble pie, okay? Let me put myself into this and try to find joy. And it was interesting. It was about a three, four-week process focusing on that and going, hey, you know, he really is enough. And he started to restore me. And this is a total death. If you've been a competitive athlete, I mean, you put everything into this. This is like, you know, this is 20-hour days. This is your passion. This is everything, okay? So that, that was my mentality, and to just lay it all down and surrender. And I finally, I remember driving around L.A., going to some place where I'm going to take a test, and I'm like feeling joy again. And it's like, Jesus is with me. And Jesus, you really are enough. I don't need to play basketball again at that, in that way. And it was almost like, I was waiting for you to learn that, Ted. Lord, all I want to do is serve you. I get a call within two weeks. I'm playing basketball in Portugal. Uh, the dream of my life, you know, playing professionally uh, for a club there. And I'm like, wow, you know, <coughs> surrender. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will give you, you know, the desires of your heart. He really does. And um, I went through that. I played for two years and then surrender again. Let's fast forward now. This is 1994. I basically, the Lord changed my heart because when I went to Portugal, it wasn't about me. I really wanted to use that as a platform to just serve him and to preach the gospel and to get people excited about Jesus, show who he really is. So I retired after two years and now I'm working there with a church planning team in Lisbon. Interesting experience. Again, this is when Portugal was going through a drug epidemic. I mean, my wife's generation, so many of her friends are just gone. They just died. I'm working for a Presbyterian church, which is the oldest Protestant church in Portugal, because the Reformation never made it to Portugal. Spain stopped it, you know. And their average age is 75. Um, you know, during the winter, half of them get a cold. The congregation goes from seven to three. They're the most, and the, the neighborhood has changed. It's drug addicts. Um, and I'm, so I'm cutting my teeth. I don't know anything ministering to these drug addicts on the street and their broken families. And I go, man, these bitter, cantankerous religious people in the church have the same issues as the people on the street, you know. They're bitter, they can't forgive, they're blaming others. It was a beautiful lesson, you know. And uh, Ed Silvoso's book, this is, I couldn't find the English version because I have a bad habit of giving these books away. This is in Portuguese. I read this, that none should perish. And this tells the story of what I experienced in uh, in uh, Argentina. And now I'm living a before picture and I'm seeing, wow, this outpouring that I saw in Argentina happened in a context that I'm living here in Portugal. This is closed. I mean, evangelicalism is like a sect. It's like, like um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. Everyone's Catholic. They hate the evangelicals. My father-in-law, who I have a great relationship with, when he heard that his daughter was dating, you know, one of those guys, he goes, if you marry him, I'm not even going to go to the wedding, you know. 
And that's how prejudiced they were. He, he loves me now, so it's all, we're, all, we're all good. We're tight, you know? And, and I went, that, this that I'm living here went to that, the outpouring, that was the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Ed Savoso has this gift of opening up the scriptures and telling how. Prayer. Repentance. Man. And it was really, I'm saying, what, do I, what am I supposed to do with my life? And it was just a call, you know, like dedicate yourself to see transformation, to see cities reached. But back to surrender. At this time where I'm just so hungry for the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I read this book. I'm, it's about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of it, I am just so hungry because, you know, I suddenly realize that the Holy Spirit you know, and all the gifts that he isn't just for then, it's for now and it's for me. And it gave me a theological, biblical foundation to just be sure that that's right. But, but regardless of that, I don't want to go into the theology. I want to go into my experience. So I'm there in Portugal, and I kneel down, and I'm so hungry for God, and I'm hungry for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the end of the book says, you know, if you want the gifts, if you want them, ask. He tells you to ask. So I ask. And I'm kneeling down, and I'm saying, I don't know which gift to ask for. I want all of them. I want all of you. And this is pre-voices you know, voices for me. Okay, this is, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still a Bible guy. You know, I'm still vivid mental experiences. So I had a vivid mental experience of a voice in my head that says, Really, Ted? You really want every gift? Ask for the gift of singleness. <laughs> no, man. Surrender. My heart. He wanted my heart. Because, you know, I, I, I was following the Lord, but I was still getting in trouble in that area. Not, you know, I was still screwing things up. So surrender. Can you trust me in this area? And I knew he didn't want me to be single, but he wanted me to fully trust him. And I also knew if I asked for him, it's out of my control. It's in his control. Will you surrender? And I go, yes, Lord. Give me the gift of singleness. And I'm just crying, and just this freedom, this surrender. I'm gone. I'm a dead man, you know. I, this, no, I can't have that anymore. That was literally a week or two weeks after I meet my, before I meet my wife, Sandra. It's an amazing dancer. When I meet her, I mean, it's literally love at first sight for me, you know. I played it cool. It took her a couple weeks before I got her to fall for me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm talking to her and I'm like, man, every other girl is just a paper cutout compared to you, you know? I mean, it's just, and it's so interesting because then, you know, we're going through that, 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 that time where our relationship is being shook because if you're going to court a girl, someone who's, you know, the opposite sex, it's a cross-cultural relationship. So if she's Portugal, Portuguese, at least it's on the table that it's cross-cultural. But anyone who's not, you know, if they're fem female, they're, it's cross-cultural, okay? They think totally differently, probably from another planet. You know, and our relationship is being uh, shaken. And I know everything in me is go, go, go grab her. You know, go do your thing to talk her into being in love with you or whatever you do. You know, do that charismatic thing. You know, show her some attention. And I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go take control. And the Lord says, Ted, I thought you asked me for the gift of singleness. Let it go. Surrender. And, and I had to be totally and brutally honest with her, with my feelings, with my past, where I was. I did things that would not be natural to bring her in, 
But man, when you follow the Lord, he is so brilliant. And I see now that what I, you know, his way is better than mine. He was laying down the foundation. And she, you know, one place where all I just had to do was just declare myself and use those pretty words to manipulate her and control her. But I couldn't. I had to be honest. I had to be where I'm at. I have to wait on the Lord. And so instead of her getting that impression that I wanted, she walked out feeling one more man is rejecting me. My father rejected me. This person now, you know, the dance doesn't like me because whatever, I'm not their type, whatever. You know, he doesn't like me. And the Lord says to her, but am I rejecting you? Am I enough? And she had, that begins this incredible experience where the Lord did this deep healing of this rejection that she had because her father had wanted to abort her. Um, they went to the lady that does the abortions. It wasn't legal in Portugal, praise God. She just happened to not be there, and it was closed that day, and they never got around to doing it. Um, but the depth of rejection that, came, that had come over her, and as the Lord brought that to mind, that she had heard the stories, but connected with it emotionally, and did this deep healing where that rejection is, being, is leaving, and she's feeling this love of God as her father. And I look back and I say, wow, if that hadn't happened and if other things hadn't happened, wow, our marriage, I mean, you know, God, see, it's surrender, surrender. We can trust him better than we can trust ourselves. Are we willing to surrender to him? I mean, I have this, you know, I mean, I'm so blessed. I mean, I, I wake up in the morning and I, Look at this wife, you know, that I get to live with. I look at my life, I look at my kids, and it's all about him. I know that I am just a sinner. I'm just broken. And, um, you know, Paul, was he progresses, he goes from defending himself. I'm not the least of the apostles to the end of his life. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He wasn't talking about who he used to be. It's understanding that it's all by God's grace. And as we grow in him, we have a greater revelation of his grace, and he's able to move through us. But it's also that I never graduate from this. I'm never suddenly made, and I achieved it, so now I can do it all on my own. Yes, we grow in maturity, but it's still him. It's just growing closer to him and surrender to him and letting him flow through us. So, anyways, we joined Harvest full-time. We've been working with Dr. Ed Silvoso based here 38 years, and I can tell you what happened in Argentina is not limited to Argentina. It's happening all over the world. Uh, Mexico, Asia, beginning right here in the Bay Area, Europe. God is moving in incredible ways and uh, transforming society because that's really what, you know, that's really what it's all about. You know, go therefore and disciple nations. That's the mission statement of the church. If you're not discipling nations, it's like working for J.P. Morgan, and what do they do? They sell monetary, right, services? And, yeah, and you're selling coffee. I mean, no, we, we do this. Jesus' organization does this. It disciples nations. And Jesus wants to come and empower us to go out there and change society. That's what it's all about. So, my conclusion is, it's God's time for the Bay Area. When we came up here, we've been here full-time working as missionaries and, um, uh, in the Bay Area. 
And that was, that was a hard sell when we first came up. You know, we're going to go be missionaries. Okay, so you're going to go to Africa. Or Russia. No, 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 we're going to go. We're going to stay in the U.S. Oh, what? Missionaries in the U.S.? We don't need no missionaries. We send missionaries. And then I would say it's the Bay Area. And they, oh, okay, that, that qualifies. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But I tell you, this, what's happening right here, if you've been around in ministry for a while, God is moving. This is extraordinary. I wish you could all come with me to San Quentin because it's different than Argentina. But man, I tell you, God is moving in that prison. Man, we used to go in there and share with the inmates, you know, and they would not listen to us and basically get in fights. Now we go up there and they're preaching, they're declaring Jesus. It's beautiful. And the basketball team, which was the first sports ministry team, was built entirely around Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's grown, grown, grown. Now we got the Warriors involved. We had Seth, who was going to come up, and he moved to Southern Cal, so I guess he's going to have to fly up. We'll have to fly him up to play with me, I guess. Um, but we got the Warriors sending in players, getting behind it. It's getting notoriety. That has set the stage, and every other team wants to be like that. So now we got the Giants, we got the A's, we got the, uh, the soccer teams involved, but they don't just want to do it that way. They also want to do it the Jesus way. And the coaches, they've just caught this. We, no one told them this. They're actually seeing themselves as pastors of their team. And they want to look out for the holistic good for their teammates. It's beautiful. Something incredible is happening. And my point is, the spiritual climate is happening, is changing right here in the Bay Area in a dramatic way. And when we first came up here, it wasn't so easy. And I want to share a word of hope that it is just beginning, okay? <coughs> a pastor who I'm not going to mention, that I otherwise have a high amount of respect for. Remember when I came up here? So this is the late 90s. We moved up here in 97. <sighs> Had this impassionate message, you know, so strong, so anointed, call to holiness, and it's step out, don't be like them. And then his punchline would be, if God doesn't judge California, if he doesn't judge the Bay Area, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sit right with me, you know? I mean, how come those prophets are always either on the East Coast or someplace else? It's like, you know, if you really believe that, move there, you know? And I just said, Lord, is that how you feel? And uh, I remember at the time the Lord said, uh, you know, if I do judge and don't send an outpouring in my Holy Spirit, I'm going to have to apologize to my son. So who would I rather apologize to? But I want to share something that has actually kind of twisted that for me just recently, um, that the Lord gave me tremendous hope. Because we've been pursuing this dream and this vision. And when you are visionary, you rejoice at the little progress, but you also see dreams that are so much bigger than the little things that you're living in. Okay? So you have to continually encourage yourself. But this passage that I've probably read before many times, I read it in a different way. And it says, this is Matthew eleven twenty three, And this is where Jesus is getting upset at Israel, the religious <coughs> people, for rejecting him. And, well, he's not upset at them. He's just telling them the truth. And he says, uh, first of all, I tell you, it would be much more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, okay, this is the Bible Belt. So you, Bible Belt, Will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. 
For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Okay, so that's like, you know, a judgment. I took it as hope. That's the key. He's saying, man, if the miracles that had happened in you had happened in Sodom, Sodom would have repented and been saved. I'm like, hey, let's own that, okay? We're sinners. We are not the Bible Belt. We're a place where we, you know, where sin abounds, grace overflows. Let's own that fact. We're sinners. But God, what I believe is the catalyst is not them. It's not the them. It's not the sinners. Because Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus would be hanging out in the Castro district or whatever is, or, or the, you know, he'd be hanging out in this, in the top floor of this, where the real sinners are, you know, he'd be hanging out with Trump, the real sinners, you know, but in a totally different way, okay, a totally different mindset. The catalyst is us, it's our faith. If the miracles that Jesus had done, because they would have repented, I want to tell you it's God's time for the Bay Area and the catalyst is us. Because if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will do the same things I have done and even greater works than me. You will do. The catalyst is us abiding. Us abiding in him. Us believing that he wants to do his works through us. And what are those works? The miracles. The signs and the wonders. What's the key to that? His love. Us changing. Us repenting. Us believing. And this is my prayer. This is a promise of hope. Lord, do these miracles here in the Bay Area. Because I tell you, as resistant as they are to religion, there is no place more spiritually hungry than right here. They are hungry, but they're hungry for the reality. They're hungry for transparency. They smell false religion. They smell fake. They don't like that at all. Let's embrace that. Let's embrace that and say, we don't want religion. We want a demonstration of the real thing. Amen? That's what I'm going to end with right now. I'm going to pray. Oh, oh great. Wow. So where are you based, Ted? Where, where? San Jose. San Jose. And since 97... That's when you moved up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got and married in late 96. The, <laughs> the question is, how involved am I? <laughs> uh, she, she's very much, I mean, you know, she's, we homeschool our kids, so she's a homeschooling mom and she teaches dance. Um, but, uh, she, you know, she is, she, to her, dance is worship. To her, you know, she models it, you know, the issue's not with her. But in a practical sense, I mean, you know, she prayed for me and blessed me and told me to come up here, but she's not always running around with me. We're not at that phase. Ted, you go to the front line, so where do you see the front line of your ministry and where, you know, the Bay Area? Yeah, the Bay Area and, you know, what, if you will, neighborhoods, what initiatives, kind of, where do you see transformation happening? Where could we feed into that? Well, one beautiful thing that I just shared about San Quentin, another super cool thing is Valley Christian School. Um, and I'm sure Ed will share more with this. Valley Christian has seen an incredible transformation from being a very, I mean, this is talking over the years, being a very mediocre, religious, uh, you know, trying to hope, you know, Christian ghetto, you know, bring your kids here so your girls don't get pregnant and your kids don't take drugs, to becoming the, one of the, if not the premier high school in the nation, and, uh, and then 
their burden for, you know, I mean, it's typical Bay Area, on top of the hill, one of the best schools in the world. And then, literally, you can look and see, and if you had a good arm, you could throw a stone at some of the worst schools in the Bay Area, which are some of the worst in our nation. It's like crazy. They've adopted those schools and seen dramatic turnaround just as they go um, and minister. So they sponsored a program called the Firehouse, where uh, Sonny and Linda Lada, who graduated from San Quentin, and they have a gang intervention ministry, they're ministering to the kids with four Fs. They get into their Firehouse program. You have to have four Fs. Well, now, if they were, you know, turning them around, well, they accelerated that through their science project, because Valley, it was the first school to put an um, experiment on, this, on the satellite, on the space station. They've taken that program, put it into the public school, and the best way was to put it through the firehouse. So they were training the kids who had four Fs to work on a project together to put an experiment in the space station. And, you know, they do this, they just give it away. It's just kingdom. But then, with parent approval, they have uh, Christian groups, faith-based initiatives, it's incredible what's happening as a result of that favor. I mean, just this year, they had, this school year, the rallies at several different schools, 4,000 kids attended these evangelistic rallies at lunchtime on public schools. 3,000 of them made a public profession for Christ, and we had our first baptism of this group. 17 kids were baptized in the public school swimming pool after school when all their friends are there. This is happening in the Bay Area in uh, South Bay. And some of the... So that's... Miracles in the marketplace, okay? I let, let me flip that. What do you need? What's your big need? If we understand everything that I'm saying, our biggest asset is not my height, my charisma, all my strength, my handsomeness, my beautiful bald head. My greatest asset is my weakness because when I am weak, he is strong. So what miracle do you need? What big thing do you need? You know, is it a marriage? Valentine's Day, is it a marriage that you're hopeless in? What's that area that when you walk out of here, say, that's beautiful, but? What's your but? What's your glass window that says, that's a beautiful city, but it's for the other side. It's not for me. I want to pray for that miracle yeah, for you to be transformed. Pray for us before we leave, but I want to tie a couple things together here real quick. So, those, a couple years ago, uh, you guys may remember Dr. Greg Thornberry from the King's College came and was one of our speakers in the evening. And what he said was, you know, we're in San Francisco. So I think the perspective that you have about Argentina and Portugal, and all, like if we step back for a minute and just look at where we are, it's, it, this is the epicenter of innovation in a lot of ways. Absolutely. This is the epicenter of what people adopt. And we're in a powerful geographic location. And you guys are sitting in seats, and you may be behind a keyboard doing spreadsheets, right? But one of the sports analogies that I heard that I think totally ties into what Ted's talking about is, and it was a football coach saying, the best ability of an athlete is their availability. 
And so when you combine us being willing to be available to God behind the keyboard, at the office, whatever it is that you're doing, that activates what you're talking about. That, he's not asking us to like, quit your job and go join somebody on the mission field. He, what he's saying is where you are right now, you've got this massive influence that you can make in the places that God's put you right now. So what is it that you need to unlock that? So, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well said. Perfect. So let's have... Let's Ted. tag team more often. <laughs> so if you could do a 30, 60 second prayer, bless these guys. It's 8.15. We want to respect the time if people need to get out of here. But if you're, you're able to stick around Absolutely, a little bit yeah, yeah. if you guys have more questions. But thank you very much for sharing that. That was awesome. It's anointed for business. It's... Oh, hey, someone can have this book. If you haven't read Anointed for Business, it's about being activated right where you're at, bringing the kingdom and the presence of God right where you're at. And uh, I'm just going to pray. Father, Lord, we get our minds off of the theology, off of the theory, Lord, and even the signs, wonders, and the miracles, Lord, uh, shift that, Lord. All of us are marketplace guys, and if someone came with a theory and said, the first question we'd ask is, show me the results, does it work? And what Jesus is saying is, my words are not a question of talk, but of power. They work. They'll transform your life. Lord, I pray that you tear down the wall in our hearts and in our understanding that we'll be baptized with your love, that we will feel your love for, for us beginning. But no longer us and them, Lord. We see that all over. Christians, Lord, are just shouting, we're in, you're out, Lord. Father, we see that in the political realm. I pray that right now for us, Lord, that we will tear that down and it won't be us versus them. It will be Jesus who came to save the whole city, to love everybody, that there's no exclusion. Lord, you tore down the dividing wall. It's for The gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. It's for the clean. It's for the straight. It's also for the gay. It's also for the queer. It's also for those that are different than us, Lord. Jesus, you came with power. Lord, to transform all of us, Lord God. Father, I pray you baptize each of us in your love. Lord, since it's Valentine's Day, Lord, we know, I pray for anyone who's hopeless or struggling in their marriage, Lord, that they will not just survive, that they will thrive in the name of Jesus, Lord. Lord, and I pray that your blessings will flow from here, Lord. Lord, through us, into our immediate sphere of influence, into our home, Lord, into our workplace, and beyond, Lord, that we can carry your light in the name of Jesus. Amen.